That got everyone's attention. <laughs> and this is where I fade off, of course. <laughs> and uh, so, for those of the, for those of you who are sitting at home listening to this and wondering why the sound quality is worse than normal, um, we are doing this as a live episode at Africa Open. So everyone, just say yay that they know that you're there. Yeah. There we go. Excellent. So let us jump straight into this. I suppose I need my notes. This is also why I do editing. <laughs> you will know my next guest, uh, if that would just go away. You will know him as one of the founding members of the student initiative Compost, which at the time of recording this has premiered over 80 new works. Uh, you will know his work with ensembles such as the Odeon Quartet, the Entonga Quintet, and the Stockholm Saxophone Quartet. You will know him for soundtracks to stage and screen works such as Brothers and Vanity Fair, as well as many, many more as part of the Sign Media uh, Collective. I suppose, yeah. Um, you will know him as a lecturer of theory and composition at the Stellenbosch University. It gives me great pleasure to introduce someone who I'm sure everyone in the room knows, Arthur Feeder. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> Like, I, I ask the questions, I don't need to do the work of clapping as well, no. Um, so, let's jump straight into the gauntlet, as it were. Those of you who are listening at home, this is where you have a shot, because I said gauntlet. Who or what inspired you to start a career in music? So, I started music because I had instruments in the house. And I was interested in this object, and figured out how to play it. And I started formal training um, at a music school. Were, did you have family who were musicians at all? My or? granddad was a pianist. Okay. Yeah. Um, what was the instrument, if I may ask? A clarinet. Okay. There was a violin, which I sucked at. Um, <laughs> so do I. I do it for a living. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. A trumpet, which also didn't really last. Right. Um, yeah, and clarinet became my main instrument. Okay, cool. Um, then, on clarinet, I went to um, the South African... National Youth Orchestra? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, the National Youth Orchestra course. And um, Rob Falkins was doing a talk on composition um, in, in the Free State. And that's actually when I decided that this is what I want to do. Okay. Um, I speak to a lot of composers and I teach a lot of composers and very few of them know that they want to do composition when they get to university. Yeah. It was a bit different for me. Like I got there and I told my clarinet teacher, sorry, this is not a priority for me. And I was lucky, he understood that from the beginning. Right. Yeah. Um, so you did you, so wait did you do some music at school at all you said yeah, yeah you did yeah. And, but you definitely did study it formally you yeah. were at Stellenbosch yeah yeah. I was at Stellenbosch the, this is my 14th year in Stellenbosch now uh, still studying or no no, no, no. not studying <laughs> I was going to say it's like transition from studying into I'm teaching I'm a slow reader myself <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. um, who, who were you having lessons with uh, with Hans Rosenskun right yeah um, did you further your studies at all outside of, out of university? I mean, outside of Stellenbosch, rather. Not really. I've done a few master classes with, with some of the other composers in, in South Africa. Yeah. Um, and learned quite a bit with all of them. But no, not, not formal okay. studying. Right. So you mentioned you, you, only, you came quite late to, to uh, writing and composing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what was the first commission that you ever did? Be it paid or as yeah. in like for yourself or whatever? Um, first commission was for... Actually, I got two commissions at the same time. It was a saxophone sonata, or sonata, saxophone competition piece really, um, and a violin sonata, which I did in 2010. Those are the first two serious commissions, right. both unpaid. Um, <laughs> And then later on, I did two of the pieces that, that I, I sent you, um, 
Right. The, there's this piece for, for wind quintet for a student group and who wanted a work for, for chamber music exams and then a theme and variations which was composed for the Cape Town or UCT Salambosch Piano Exchange. Right, right. And so the wind quintet, uh, it's called Movement. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, it's five movements or four? Yeah. Five movements. Five. Okay. And each is sort of, of a, like a different uh, type of movement. Yeah. Um, excluding bowel. But, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's stuff like acceleration and yeah. uh, what is it, slowing down and, and or decelerating. Yeah. And, and different particles bouncing against each other. So it, it was more to get my brain around working with different soundscapes. At, at this stage, I started moving away from melody and um, thinking in tradi- traditionally, like melody, harmony, background, foreground, mm. and, and more about curating sounds, really. So uh, you mentioned they were both sort of written around the same time, the theme and variation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, from what I can tell from like the nature of the piece, it's not really, it's not about anything specifically, or is there a story behind it? I mean, I remember like listening to it, they got to say something, man. <laughs> like uh, listening, listening to it, there's definitely sort of, I can hear elements of sort of jazz and things like that, which yeah. I, from the works of yours that I've heard before, there's very much like a strong foot in, in that kind of yeah. world. Yeah. Well, speaking towards the, the jazz influence is in my beginning stages of, of working, I was more tasked as an arranger than a composer. And I did a lot of arrangements for, um, for the jazz band. Um, or for weddings right. and I, th- I think I just absorb as as any composer does you absorb if you arrange stuff so right. that's, that's where the influences come from right. um, yeah as, as far as story goes I mean who, well let's start who's performing on, on the recording um, that is Lodens Fuck, and he's actually taken the work as one of his own now he plays it in every competition he plays um, so yeah it, it's very handy to have a work like that where yeah. <clears throat> you sort of send someone out into the world. I do have, let, well, let me play an excerpt first. I do have a question about a work like that.
there's something I'd, I'd like to ask you, speaking of like earlier works, um, there's something that I came across while I was listening to some of your pieces, and I think you can see it written in huge letters here. Um, it's a piece called uh, Skirts of Phrenia. Yeah. Um, which has 40,000 hits on, on SoundCloud. And for a South African... Co- How? <laughs> How? I have no idea. That is actually the saxophone work that I was talking about. I, yeah, I, I figured... It, like... um, I, it, it's not even on my own SoundCloud page. Um, uh, someone else put it right. It's on Compos's page. Um, like I mean, I'm I'm not to to like shoot down local composers, but I'm pretty used to like you sort of scroll through their pages and it's sort of like a oh, hundred hits, oh two hundred hits, oh ah forty thousand, yeah. like I, I think it's the name. Uh, right, <laughs> it must just be. The name. I mean, there's not like some kind of like you know Kim Kardashian hashtag somewhere in <laughs> the name or something like that. No, it was just a very like what? And I I, I have the same. Expression every time I see. I mean, do you still? You assume you still get hits on it or something? Yeah. Like, yeah. So. No, it, it, it's crazy. I, also, I had one saxophonist who actually shared it um, on SoundCloud. I okay. I, I owe most of my lessons to him. Okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. So, speaking of uh, rising, which we weren't, but let's talk about it. What is your process? How do you put a piece together? It differs from piece to piece, um, or my mood. Um, sometimes I will get a hook and I'll just basically improvise with it until I find things that I, I want to use. Those are usually the uncontrolled compositions which take, end up taking me longer because I didn't plan properly. But then on the other side, I, I also can become super technical where I work out every detail of the composition before, mm. before writing a note. Um, the Stockholm Saxophone Quartet work that, that you have there is, is an example. Right, of that. right, right. And then there's also the middle grounds where I'll, I'll plan out big form structures or I'll plan out basic material and then from there improvise with the material really. Right. And, and yeah, th- those are my three big processes. Um, be- well, I suppose with all three of them, depending on what instrumentation I'm writing for, I also try and, and delve in as much as possible to get used to the sound world and what I like and what I dislike with the certain instrument group. I remember being fascinated I got to watch you kind of write at one point when we did the 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 Goethe Institute. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the whole title is, but it, it was part of the the Mozart Festival up in in Joburg, and we had those two days where we had to sit and yeah. and create something from scratch, and it was just very like the way you work is very different from how like I mean how I I know we all have our own ways of doing things. But it was just this kind of like, what is he drawing? Like, uh, it's sort of like graphs and sort of figuring all that. It's just like, I don't see any notes, dude. Like, what are you doing? Like, but yeah, it was. It, it just sort of was very. It was fascinating yeah. to kind of see that approach. Like, yeah, I don't know. Um, so, who would you consider? Who or what would you consider your biggest influences musically? Um, definitely Hans. Um, most of most of the, the way or the. Yeah, the things that I think about music and the way I approach it, and my students could probably verify this, the way I look at their works is largely uh, how Hans looked at our work. It's like rhythm, Fisset and I were speaking earlier, it's like a piece that you played of mine, it's like didn't understand the time signatures because it's, it's all over the place. But that's very much a Hans thing. It's, it's right. always keep your audience on their toes, Shift shift things where where they aren't um, or where you don't expect them. Mm. Um, 
other than that, like I said, I I delve into an instrument instrument's world really. So I don't I won't listen to one composer more than another. Very right. often I just it's like I'm gonna look up read quintets, put on a read quint, uh, put it on YouTube, and just let it run. Right, not right. even looking at the work's names. Okay. And then you find interesting things that way. Um, yeah. On the other hand, I am like you said, I teach theory and composition at the department, so I do have grounding in. I, I have to show these works to my students all the time. So Debussy, the the, the French impressionist, actually, mm. um, huge favorite of mine, and Shostakovich string writing is is also something that that, that really speaks to me. Yeah, yeah. Th- there seems, and I don't know if this is a generalization, but for a long time there is a very strong influence, I think, of Shostakovich in South African composers. Like yeah. I I don't know if this is a, ge- a very broad generalization. But there are a lot of composers who have taken from yeah. that. Um, I'm sure there's a thesis someone in this room could write about why. Um, but anyone yeah. that comes out of Stellenbosch, I'm probably to blame for that. <laughs> okay, yeah. no, I, but I mean, sort of before. <laughs> yeah. but, but I'm I'm watching you. Like, <laughs> no. um, so you mentioned Shostakovich and and uh, Debussy. Yeah, well, yeah. I didn't just dream that. Um, <laughs> Uh, how would you describe your current style? I mean, what would you have said? Would you say that it has changed a lot from when you initially began writing? Definitely. In the beginning, I basically wrote Arabian Nights over and over. <laughs> um, That's a good song. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to the remake. No, no, no. I've, 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 I've not, not so much changed, but definitely refined. It's like. Uh, as a young composer, I was always trying to say everything in every composition. Right. And actually something Andide um, spoke to me about, just like, choose your material and really work with it. And, and that has resonated with me. So yeah. um, no matter what, because my style varies as well from piece to piece. If I'm yeah. writing for, a, for a, a high school student or if I'm writing full music, um, it, it needs to be adaptable. The thing that sticks with me is find the thing that, that, that the core of the material. Yeah. And and just work with that. So that's definitely something that's changed with me. Right. I mean, I think something that I, that from the stuff that you, you've mm-hmm. sent, it's very, there, there's sort of a lot of kind of extended technique kind of like, mm-hmm. as you say, you, you focus on, I suppose, what the instrument can do yeah. and pull that out of yeah. it kind of thing. So, I mean, as an example of a, a more recent work, you mentioned uh, it was with Art, which was uh, by the Stockholm Saxophone Quartet, yeah. which I think I was at the premiere of that at yeah. the Purple Festival yeah. last year. Yeah. What can you tell us about the piece? So, our brief was the Stockholm Saxophone Quartet likes slap tongue and they like multiphonics. Right. Um, <laughs> so, it's like, okay. Um, we don't have very many saxophonists who are that competent in, in South Africa, which is unfortunate. Um, no offense to any saxophonists. Um, but, but I mean, the, the quartet loves, breathes, eats new music. So um, it, was, it was great to sort of let loose. Yeah. That work, I spent quite a bit of time just listening to the different types of multiphonics. And I, I found a, a useful book. Um, with fingering charts, just describing how much beating you'd have, at what volume they can produce it. And luckily for me, the tenor player had the same book there. Right. So it's like, yes, I chose the right source. <laughs> um, and then I'd, I'd listen to all of these things and actually plotted out um, a diagram again 
with, okay, so if I mix this sound with that sound, that's more or less what I should get. If I mix this with that, that's more, more or less what I should get. Um, and then something that's also become more prominent in my works lately is uh, a pseudo cake jazz element. Right, um, yeah. And I try to, to fuse the two worlds, the, this abstract, um, really focusing on color, yeah. uh, and, and fuse that with, with the dance-like element of, of, of the, the guma. Right. And that was my starting point. And then from there, it was, it was sort of putting together a puzzle for me. Right. Problem solving. The, I mean, from like an effects point of view, I have to find this. The first bar, which doesn't really work that well in, on like an, an auditory, uh, the performance instruction is as if attacking the first notes of a composition, pick up and hold the instruments. And yeah, yeah and the dynamic with gestural intensity, but utmost honesty, yeah. which is, yeah. <laughs> so if I remember for the performances, yeah. <laughs> sort of like and they, they yeah. a bit more dramatic than I intended right. <laughs> so the idea there is that I actually stole from Fernio okay um, so the idea is to just bring the audience in so absolute silence when you're expecting like you have this gesture where you're seeing the musician play but you don't hear it yet no and yeah that was the idea behind that right and then yeah the alto player was a bit more enthusiastic than <laughs>
You mentioned a little bit earlier, obviously, about you know, film work and university mm. work, so I guess this probably answers the question, but as a composer, how do you make a living in this country? Um, yeah, I'm still trying to figure that out myself. <laughs> um, no, I as, well, I teach uh, part-time at the university, do a lot of arrangements, a lot of in, the transcribing and engraving work as well, so not the fun things, not the glamorous things. No. Um, yeah, you sort of do everything and anything. And I think the, the biggest challenge for, for composers is actually to, to find performance that, that trust you enough to, to, to experiment with you. Mm. So most of my time, I'll build relationships. Um, so I'll do a lot of free work in the beginning. And then eventually, my friends, like this year, um, a lot of my friends decided, this is the year they're going to get me official commissions right. with, with a lot of money. <laughs> so like, okay. Um, but yeah, it's definitely doable and working at the university is also sort of a double-edged sword because you lose time because you're doing admin and you're doing teaching and you're tired when, you, when you're done, which I actually find very commendable that you're doing something like this because I can imagine it's the same thing. Um, and then trying to be creative after that. So you also limit the amount of time you can compose. So it's still a balance that I'm trying to, to, no. to make. Yeah. It, scheduling is apparently very important like it there has been i mean this week as an example like i've had to finish an arrangement as well as there's a potential commission coming up as well as editing this etc yeah. etc et <laughs> so i keep getting told like no you need to make schedules so I, i'd like to believe thinking about making yeah. a schedule is what's helping me <laughs> it's, uh, it's never worked for me though because they, they like to start panicking because i'm always behind right. <laughs> i haven't made a schedule no <laughs> so i mean speaking of like uh, work and stuff that uh, the that you do tell me a little bit about uh, sign like that from what I understand it's a collective of like five composers four or five composers yeah um, 
five composers and um, two sound engineers. Right. So the company mostly focuses on film music, but we run all our composition stuff through there. They also, on the tech side, do um, any type of recording as well. Right. So how the initiative started is we were all doing this in any case, and Gerardru came up to us and said, well, why don't we just put our branding together and, and we just have a stronger foot to stand on then. Right. Um, so sign hasn't really changed how we work because we've always been working like that. Right. Uh, yeah. It's sort of, yeah, you, you like just put a label on it. Yeah. Kind of, yeah, exactly. Um, so of the various concerts and stuff that you've done, uh, what would you say is a favorite performance memory, be it the concert itself or rehearsal or yeah, mm. anything? Working with the year Dian Kutit at Sassram was, was definitely very nice, especially mm. since um, we were working with Kevin Rollins as well. Right. So he also gave a lot of insight into to how, how to rehearse, how, how to get the most out of your piece in a short time. It was also, at the time, a longer rehearsal period than I've had before. Two um, rehearsals. No, yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> like, yeah, no. Which is a problem for, for new music. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, so the whole process in the quartet was also, they were receptive. Yeah. Which, which, is, which is great. I, I think I messaged you a couple of days ago, I was listening to it, it's just like, who's playing? Yeah. Like, it, it, like, it's a very good performance. Yeah. Like, they put the time in and, yeah. Yeah, and, the, and the, the, hear the, it. the honesty, even though it was a younger person's work and something that, that, that is not well known, they were still very honest and earnest with the work, which mm. is which is great. Yeah, um, I can honestly say the same about the Stockholm saxophone quartet, but that is already a work that I gave in. So, <laughs> um, yeah, the the other thing is that they eventually took that work to Austria on their tour. So, right. So, what are, what else can you? So the piece is called Between. Yeah. Um. Yeah. What What can you tell me so about the work? This was also one of it's a mm, earlyish work um, where I started experimenting really with with moving away from being constricted by bars and what notation can do. So I started this piece in a DAW, leaving scoring to the very end. So I spent about two weeks just figuring out, okay, so is this the sound I want? Working with techniques, putting them together. And the, the, I worked out my form structure as I, as I normally would. Um, and then with the, with the little techniques and stuff, it's like, mm, this works, this doesn't work. So it was a bit of experimentation. And then after that, scoring was a nightmare. Right. Because <laughs> then now I had to figure out how to notate what I had imagined. Yes. But it was a good learning, a good learning curve. Yeah. Um, it's a very colourful score. There's like, I mean, having what is lovely, and I think, I, I know, I think I asked, and I looked to my left, uh, <laughs> the composer, Pierre Henry, today that, that um, I asked to see a score of, of one of his works, but I think you're the first composer when I've asked for pieces who sent me the score as well oh. and but it's great it's lovely to actually see how someone works oh. um, I mean thank you I mean, when I ask my students to send me pieces it's always score and yeah no but one but 100% but it, it's a yeah. it's a huge help especially putting this yeah. together I mean a lot of the times it's like they there's an interview at one point where I'm talking to someone it's just like I think there's a double bass in it I'm not <laughs> sure you know so like to see exactly what's yeah. going on yeah.
this is where the meat, I suppose, comes. Um, what's the best advice you've ever received from a teacher or a mentor? Two things. So, um, with Kevin, well, at the at the session week there, he's like, make a catalog of every technique for any instrument you you work with. So, that that is something that that I've now taught all my students and expect them to do. And the other thing, like I said earlier, Andy, did like focus, bring back your material. Right. Say 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 one thing, but say it well. Right. Yeah, I think that's the two most important things. Going back to the the catalog, is it just a sort of like how, cataloging what exactly? Um, any possible sound that you can get out of the instrument. Okay. So so that you don't you aren't sitting there while you're writing and trying to figure out what the sound is, but you have actually you have this book of sounds, almost like a palette, really. Right. 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 Um, yeah. That's very handy. I shall do the same. Yeah. No, that, that is, that's a very, very you good advice. 40, 40 sounds per instrument, which okay. is a bit much. 41 if you drop it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. So, and then on the other hand, um, I mean, you do this for a living, but what would you suggest to an aspiring composer or to the new music scene as a whole? Um, for composers, get to work with performers as soon as possible. Um, get your music out there. You can't write for a desk. Um, the more you listen to your own music, the more you learn. Um, as much as score study and um, tech, composition techniques help you hearing your own pieces and experiencing it yourself, that, that's where you learn everything. Mm-hmm. Um, open your ears. Don't, don't, be, don't decide that you don't like something. Um, understand why you don't like something. Very, very often, I've, I've gone into a piece and was like, no, this is not really my thing. And then, after like actually trying to figure out what it is that bothers me in the piece, I find so much more, uh, so much more things that I actually enjoy or that I can take from. Right. Yeah. Don't undercharge. That. <laughs> yeah. No, that is very, very important. I have, I think, I think also because, I mean, I'm sure you've had similar experiences when you sort of work in the world of um, stage art music, whatever, versus like film music. Uh, I think I probably have mentioned this before in one of the interviews, but uh, the work that I do with the South African Film Orchestra the the sound guy who I work with all the time, his comment at one point was like, dude, charge more. <laughs> like, you know, someone's like, I want a 50-minute score. It's like, uh, two grand. Is that okay? <laughs> Seems fair? No. Okay, 150. One, I'm sorry, I wouldn't go that, you know, like... Yeah. So, like, we, we are... I think, I mean, unfortunately, like an idiot, I forgot to record the interview, but it is that thing of, like, you you allow yourself to be treated... Yeah, or, yeah you get treated how you allow yourself yeah. to be treated. And I think, they, especially for classical musicians, um, great, very quick story example, there was a, a, a thing that we did which involved having a live orchestra playing to a screen. Mm-hmm. And there was no budget. So um, what ended up happening is they offered us like well you can get tickets for this and they'll give us sandwiches and things like that and we or we were not sandwiches we were promised dinner before the show <laughs> you can see where this is going so we as we were about to start uh, or we had the break in between there's one little plate of egg mayo sandwiches like in the center of a table and you have like 40 players 
And myself, Sarah, and Galena being the shot ensemble, we went, fuck this, and <laughs> left. Yeah. And we went downstairs to where the real party was happening, and all the guests were having drinks and, mm. and horse duvers to quote The Simpsons. And so that's what we did, and we came back again, and there was still this plate, and there were, like, you know, the rest of the orchestra sitting around the plate. It's like, guys, there's food, like, just go through the door, like, yeah. there. And afterwards, I there were a lot of things about the whole uh, project which I, I was not very happy with, like how it was run and organized and stuff. So I contacted all the players afterwards and I was like, look, thank you so much for doing this. It went way over time, no payment, etc. If there is anything that you would like to complain about, so if we do this in the future, let me know and I will tell them. And I got one comment which was like, if I'd known that it was going to go so late, I might have like not said yes. It's like, well, if, if you're not going to say anything, man, like, I, I'm willing to go to bat for you, but you ha it has to come from you. So, yeah, it, they, I think in, in the classical scene, we, we're very fine, like, okay, thank you. Like, I, I'll, yeah, in my mouth, sure, fine. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. but anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so, those are the questions that I ask everybody. And usually at this point, um, I will have collected information on Facebook, you can find me on Instagram, you can find me on Twitter, I'm at BatComposer. Um, and uh, I ask if there's a question that you would like to ask a composer, you can send it to me and I'll pass it on. But I figured seeing we are in a room with people, if anyone has a question, now's the time to speak. Yes? Uh, do you improvise as a, as, a, as a composer? Like, do you just play a piece and... Improvise not not in the not in the I'm gonna walk on stage and improvise sense but but yeah I do I take my material and I play around with it until I find things from it so then you write it down yeah okay do you always write everything down that you want your players to do on stage hmm. it depends so so something that also in, interests me is the relationship between composer score. Composer, score, performer, and audience. So I do a lot of things where I purposely leave out information for the performer. Because I also learned earlier working with performers, if I don't give them the space to, to work, then the performance is dead. But yeah, no, I do some aleatoric stuff as well. Um, in, the, in the string quartet, it's a lot of aleatoric stuff, which is why scoring or engraving was so difficult. Because I mixed things that were timed with things that weren't. Um, with the Stockholm saxophone quartet, I, I told them to phase out or desync with each other. So, so there are a lot of things that I don't specify specifically, but I have an idea of the effect that I want. Um, we were listening to two of your tracks just right now, and I noticed that in your, your there was a, a similar bass rhythm that was established in both of them. So, my question would be when you compose music and you have different projects going on, how much of your material lingers from one and then lingers into another? Mm. And where do you draw the line where you decide, I'm, I'm sick and tired of what I'm doing, I'm really going to start fresh? This happens more often than you think. Um, <laughs> so very often uh, with a commission I'll start a piece, write about three minutes of music and then scrap the whole thing. Um, but then that becomes something that I can use later on. Um, yes, the, the, the rhythm that you're hearing is the, the Goma rhythm, so that, that's very intentional that I, I included it in both works. Mm -hmm. Almost, the saxophone quartet is a bit different. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's, it's tricky, especially when you have projects running either concurrently or directly after each other to just clean your, sort of clear your head. So I also tell my students to do this always, the moment you've done with a composition, take a break. Even if it's just one day where you don't listen to anything. Um, and that usually helps. Do you ever have, because I get this unfortunately way too often, that I'll be working on a certain motive or something in a piece and then suddenly realize that it is a motive that I used for another piece like a year or so earlier, but yeah. now I've just developed it yeah. a little bit. <laughs> it yeah. happened, uh, actually, well, with one piece I realized that in performance, it's like, oh. Which actually ties into the idea that composers are actually just curators. Um, we can... <laughs> We can only flip the table. I'm out. No, we can, we can only we can only write what we what we what we've heard before, what we or what we know, and, and we can only explore and manipulate what we've heard and know before. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's very tricky to not steal from yourself. Yeah, the the, the okay, there's one example that really bugs me. There's a symphonic work that I did, which I ended up there's like a middle section which ended up becoming the first movement of a violin concerto that I wrote and I'd completely forgotten about that orchestral piece it's like oh okay. um, are there any more questions Just one yeah more. sure uh, you teach composition as well yeah so do, do you stick to the canon you know when you teach your students or are you able to smuggle uh, some other uh, uh, unknown uh, names into the curriculum just to to give students yeah. a more diverse choice of listening. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. No, we don't stick to the canon. So, so we teach we teach orchestration and uh, composition. So in orchestration, we'll stick a bit more to the canon. Okay. When there's specific te- technical stuff oh, that you okay. want to teach, okay. but with composition, we actually have uh, an hour-long rep studies where I'll spend three days just going on the internet looking for new pieces and mm-hmm. I try to be as, as, as recent as possible it, it makes it a bit, a bit tricky because you can't always find scores for the newer stuff mm-hmm. so, but no, definitely uh, as anything and everything that, that is my philosophy, open your ears to, to anything that you can hear so I, I hope that's what my students take from me as well okay. um, Arthur, I wanted to ask in terms of commissions right? <laughs> <laughs> How do you like to work in um, your given uh, set of parameters? Do you work better, you know, when you've got maybe a few works um, in the computer, or you've got a bit of a backlog, or, or do you prefer to sit on one project and just finish that off completely, or do you like going from mm-hmm. place to place, and then when you realize that, oh, I wrote this here, but I think it would sound better there, what, how, do you, mm-hmm. how do you deal with that? So I, I, I never delete anything properly. It's like if something doesn't work for a composition, I put it in a, a sketch bank. So sometimes, yes, that definitely happens. Very often, like two years or three years later, the, the, that little niggle just actually sat enough in my head. Mm. Ideal situation is that I work on one thing and finish it and then move on to the next. Um, because like Fosso said, the things creep in, in any case. Unfortunately, um, in most of the time, the day that you get a commission, you also get an arranging gig and you get a film gig and mm. you get uh, extra teaching work. <laughs> so it, it always happens in clusters. Mm. So ideally, I'd work on one piece at a time, but that ne- that's never the case. 
And do you have like a favorite instrument or favorite group that you like to write for? String quartet. Mm, definitely. Um, yeah. So I'm just going to repeat a question that we asked you for a research project we did a while ago, and that is, um, in which of your works do you feel you best achieved your compositional aim? And your answer to this was initially nothing. So has that changed in the last <laughs> couple of years, three, four years, I think? I don't know. I don't think I'm ever 100% happy with a work. So unfortunately, the, the South African scene is maybe broader than South Africa, is that new music gets performed once and then we move on. So very often, after the first performance, you realize, oh, wait, that doesn't work, that doesn't work. Um, I could have done that better there. Then you make a, a, an edit, but then you don't get a second performance. So it, it's, yeah. I, that doesn't really answer your question, but it also does. Yeah, exactly. Um, being a person of color, being in Stellenbosch, how much has that affected your work, especially being in, um, quite honestly, a very violent space? Hmm. And I mean, I think one of the most, one of the only sanctuaries we happened to go, we happened to stay at the same res, but at different times where hmm. that was Stellenbosch's new res, so it was meant to be all integrated and diverse. Hmm. So, and being in the hmm. concert as well for long periods of time can be very taxing. Hmm. And how do you deal with it, or did you actually use, um, did you use uh, composition as a means to? to try to process your own emotions or to go through um, the Stellenbosch scene and how you coped with it? Hmm. To say that it, did, it doesn't influence my music would be ignorant because we can only write ourselves. Never actively working through emotions through my compositions. Poof, it's a loaded question. <laughs> um, no, I, th I think every, every experience that, that you have, whether it's negative or positive, um, builds on your character, builds on, your, on, on who you are. So um, looking back, I take everything as a, as a positive thing because it, it made me who I am now. No. Um, mine's slightly less loaded. Um, <laughs> so how did the instruments that you played and the instruments that you try to play, hashtag trumpet, um, <laughs> um, how did that influence your, not just your style, um, because I mean obviously that would influence which works you were exposed, yeah. exposed to, <laughs> exposed to um, at an earlier age yeah. and also how you think about music and harmony and melody. So how did that affect your style and um, just what you like to write? For a very long time, I couldn't write for clarinet. It, it's something that I'm still dealing with. Um, <laughs> no, it, it's a funny thing. Um, I spoke to a colleague of mine, and because you, you, you study an instrument, you become ingrained in its repertoire, and then it's very difficult to, to think outside of that little box that you get placed. Mm. So working with something like the string quartet, which, in, if you know Kimberly, we didn't have string players back then. So it was something completely novel for me. Um, I had no limitations. So, so I write it, they should play it. Um, which don't do. Um, but yeah, um, saxophone obviously opened my... I was a huge snob when I got to university. Um, I didn't really think I could learn anything from jazz. And then I played in the jazz band. And it opened up my ears so much. Um, going to the Graham Sound Festival, seeing how musicians... How musicians actually just music. 
is is so amazing um, and that that has changed who I am more than than the instruments I play so just one okay. more yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I suppose composers are influenced by many things uh, when they embark on their work for you uh, do you do you, are you influenced by sound or by text or by just any other thing that comes in your way yeah no, mostly by sound okay. um, one composition i was annoyed with my garage squeaking and it, 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 it became something um, but yeah sometimes i read a text and it it's not like i'm setting the text or mm -hmm. it's, it's not like i'm i'm writing a piece about the text i'm writing a piece about my reaction to the text or I see a, a painting and it, it has the same effect on me. It, 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 it inspires me to, to sort of try and figure out what it means for me. But I, I tend to not put those things out on the score because, yeah. I, to add to that, there was a piece that was done at the Viola Congress here a couple of years back where <clears throat> the main motive was beyond and there was one afternoon, that is the main motive, but well, that came up a lot at any rate. And there was one evening when, uh, when I still used to smoke, and I was standing outside my house, air conducting, processing the piece while I was working in it, and I gave a downbeat, and the doorbell next door rang, and it went, Ang! <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> what do you do? It's like, it did its there. It, it was a production house, and they had people coming by all day, dropping stuff. The other thing that I had to do is I used to have a, a thing called Adium, which would have, like, G-Talk and everything yeah. in one. And I ended up having to delete it off my computer because I, I kept the most simple notification sign, and I realized all my pieces were in A, because I just gave these, like... <laughs> <laughs> constantly <laughs> so yeah. yeah what were you smoking? cigarette <laughs> Kent menthol <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. sorry so there was a question there, yeah. um, I was wondering is there is there some kind of personal imperative for you to connect in some way with music from the context in which you live which might be Establish context, which might be a South African mm. context, or is it something that you find boxes you in that there might be or from Iran, right after each other. And like, so, yeah, like I said, open your ears to everything. And, and if something resonates with you, it might not resonate with you today, but tomorrow something, something works or it just clicks. So I don't actively go about looking for influences, if, if that answers your question. Um, it's just what seeps in, seeps in. Anymore, yeah. I have a comment about uh, uh, that, that I'd like to ask you to, to tell me what you think about this. But um, I, when I was a student at Sambosh University in the music department, Rulof Tenen was the court composer, and he composed a complete concerto in the early 1990s. Tenen was, for the sake of the, of the listeners, he's 
said, for, of the audience, he said, I will have this flute concerto playing for the interval and then once again repeating after the interval. Mm -hmm. So Eva Tomasi, who had to play a 21 second top E flat, had to do this twice on the same <laughs> night. And this was for the sake of the audience who needed to get used to new music. Mm -hmm. um, so my question to you now on the other side, you as a composer have a problem because you would like to edit the piece after the first performance mm. and have it replayed. So a practical suggestion from a, from a player's side, why don't you just always have your players commit to two performances mm. with you in between having enough time to edit, but that is part of your contract with them? Yeah, no, that would, that would, that would, that would be a very good starting point. But yeah. with enough time, you know, in between um, with, with Even just with, with the two performances after each other, um, it works really well. We, we've actually implemented it now with all the concerts that we do with our students now, because the second performance is always different. It's a, the, the, the performer also just settles into the piece a bit better. I don't know why, I think it's just when you're performing to an audience, there's, there's, you can connect better. So yeah, no, a second performance, even if it's immediately after, always works. Yeah, and yeah, I think I actually, yeah. No, I think that's a very, very great idea. So simple. Also, <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you for a great, interesting talk. Um, something that we've been wondering about in this seminar is the relationship between um, South African art music in scapegoats and art music from the continent. And I, I noted yeah, when, you, when you spoke about different genres, different composers, uh, different sound worlds that you you are interested in and, and formed by, there wasn't any mention um, of, of composers uh, from an African art music tradition, um, obviously excluding South and maybe Southern Africa. Mm. And I wondered whether you could comment on that, because it's an interesting, you know, is there actually a disconnect between South African uh, Western art music compos composition and African art music composition more broadly? I think there definitely is, mostly because the music isn't as easy, easily accessible as, as everything else. So unless you know what you're looking for, it's, it's very difficult to find it. That, that, that being said, there are certain, like we do hear um, Kazi's marimba ensemble, and that's right outside my office when I compose. So those things have seeped into to the way I've, I've been writing. But yeah, no, it is something that I, I should start looking at more. And it's not a criticism, it's just, mm. just really something that you've been thinking mm. about collectively. Yeah. I think, I think it's ease of access mostly. Mm. Um, th that's the biggest, the biggest bottleneck. Cool. I think if there are no more questions, this is where we do the rounding up thing. If people wanted to follow you or to like hear of upcoming performances and stuff like that, how best uh, or... Firstly, do you have anything you'd like to punt coming up? I think the Wurtfest is happening as we speak. Yeah, we have a concert tomorrow Yeah. Um, with new works by uh, myself and Tony and our students um, with our singing department. So looking forward to that. Six o'clock tomorrow. Okay. Well, I suppose for podcast. It was six class <laughs> last week, and uh, yeah. Uh, but if people wanted to sort of stay in touch and sort of figure, out, like, if you had something coming up, I am terrible with social media. You must do it. Facebook mostly. I will always share events. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then keep an eye on the signed website. And that's just sign.co.za. Yeah. Cool. Well, sign Instagram. 
Yeah. Instant, right. <laughs> so um, usually the, the, with all the episodes that I do, there's the traditional Irish farewell, which is I just sort of like mix it out at this point and have something playing as a play out. Um, but I suppose because we can't just slink under the table and vanish, uh, just to say thank you for doing this. Thanks for agreeing to, to try this experiment of doing one of these lives. Thank you all for sitting through this um, and uh, dealing with my potty mouth probably. But um, yeah, thank you very much. And I think that is our time. And yeah, see you around. Thank you.